Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning everyone. It's so good to see you. And good morning to those who are joining us online this morning. So good to have you here with us. If you are new among us, we just want to let you know we always counted a thrill to have guests uh, here uh, with us. And we, all, we want you to know there's always a place uh, for you here. Uh, my name is Donald. And for those who are new among us, I want you to know we are a church on a mission. And that mission is to connect people to Jesus and to one another. It's the main thing. And we wanna keep the main thing the main thing, and that main thing is connecting people to Jesus and to one another. We're absolutely convinced to our very core that the most important relationship that any man, woman, boy, or girl could have is with Jesus. And we believe that life is done so much better when you do it with others. And that's why we say we're all about connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Hey, if you were here a couple weeks ago, um, I told a very tragic childhood story. I don't know if anybody remembers that, about a lost quarter. I swallowed a quarter, remember, and, and I'm still working through that. And um, someone in our congregation, very kind, compassion, and caring, came to me with a 43-year-old Royal Canadian Mounted Police quarter and gave it to me so I can put the tragedy behind me. So thank you, Phil Sullivan, for doing that for me. Well, today we're starting a brand new series called God Came Near. We're entering that season where we look at uh, Christ's first coming and we get excited about his second coming. It's an intensified time on the calendar year that churches celebrate the arrival of Jesus and they anticipate when he will come again. And Christians all over the globe are right now in an intensified time of celebration. Once a year during the Christmas season, the secular world and the sacred world kind of collide. And all of a sudden you find Jesus Christ everywhere you go. Approximately one month of the calendar year, his presence is actually inescapable. You may accept him, you may reject him. You may deny him or you may affirm him, but you cannot ignore him during this season. He is proclaimed in speech and song and symbols all around the world. Tim Keller, a well-known pastor in New York City, describes Christmas this way. It's just awesome, his description. He says, at Christmas time, God moved into a very bad neighborhood and began rehabilitating it. What a great picture, the incarnation, Jesus. God moves into a bad neighborhood and begins the renovations. It's an incredible Christmas picture. Many people don't realize how many times Jesus is actually found throughout the Old Testament. I don't know if you realize that the entire Old Testament actually paints a picture of the arrival of a rescuer. 
And that first promise is actually given in Genesis 3.15. It's a little obscure. It's a, it's a little black and white. It, it's a little vague, that promise in Genesis 3.15. Because it says when the seed, that the seed of a woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. That's God's initial promise that somebody is gonna be coming to clean up the mess that we made. And the rest of the Old Testament kind of colors in that black and white picture of a promise. And the promise, it builds and it gets bigger and bigger and brighter and brighter as you read through the Old Testament. And then you come to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where Jesus arrives and all the prophecies and all the promises that were made comes to life in a manger where a baby is born. The whole Old Testament actually is to whet our appetite for Jesus. In fact, in the book of Luke, Jesus himself says, when you read through the Old Testament, it all points to me, he says. Every story whispers his name. And when you read throughout the Old Testament, you come away with something better is on its way. And the passage of scripture that I want us to look at this morning is actually found in Isaiah chapter nine. It probably is the most explicit passage in all the uh, Old Testament that describes this rescuer as Jesus. And Isaiah is speaking good news in a very, very dark place. In fact, this is the inspiration to Handel's Messiah. Last night we had the symphony, uh, Sarnia Symphony here and choir and they sang parts of Handel's Messiah. Absolutely uh, beautiful. And, and George Frederick Handel, when he wrote that famous musical piece called Messiah, he was under very adverse conditions when he wrote that. He had failing eyesight. He was under the threat of being sent to debtor's prison because of unpaid bills they'd had. But despite the pressure, Handel wrote this masterpiece work in three weeks. He was compelled, he said, by overwhelming sense of joy. This is what he said. He felt as if his heart would burst with joy over the music that he was hearing in his head. And the inspiration Handel felt when he wrote Messiah helps to explain the impact on listeners and performers. It's hard when not it's it's hard to sing the hallelujah chorus without imagining what it will be like one day when Jesus Christ reigns forever and ever and ever. Most of us are familiar with Handel's use of Isaiah chapter 9, that famous work and one of the most thrilling moments in that musical piece is when the choir sings, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The list of names found in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, six is quite impressive and can only fully describe one, and that's Jesus. And the prophecy of his birth gives us great encouragement today. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, if the Bible's a little unfamiliar with you, if you kind of just open the Bible in the middle and turn right, just go a couple of pages down, you'll find Isaiah. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, we also have it on the screen. You can follow along. But let me uh, 
read this passage here. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to read just the first seven verses. Now remember, Isaiah, this prophecy is given when Israel's in a very, very dark place in their life, okay? Let me read it to you. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And may we see Jesus in this passage this morning. And let's pray. God, would you tune our hearts to hear from you this morning? Help us to see Jesus in this passage of Scripture this morning. Open our eyes. Unplug, Lord, our ears. Soften our hearts. Help us to see our great need and your great provision. Help us to see in a fresh way Jesus. Help us to see your amazing grace. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to speak clearly so we can see Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. After it became obvious that the allied, allies' policy of trying to appease Adolf Hitler had failed, to stop the Nazis' leaders' plan for war and conquest, one British leader described this dark situation in very memorable terms. You may remember this in your history class. The lamps are going out all over Europe and we shall not see them lit again in our lifetime. Gloom and doom. That's all he could see as the Nazis kept marching and moving forward. Well, let me tell you, in this particular passage that we read, the situation is actually very, very dark for Israel. The Assyrians, their enemies, are at their doorsteps. And Israel, um, in this very dark period, 
Uh, Isaiah stands up and he prophesies of a time when darkness and gloom would be lifted. This passage is all about Christmas, but it's not typically what we think about Christmas. Isaiah has given us a presentation that Christmas is actually all about a confrontation. Christmas is actually a conflict. Christmas is God's campaign against sin and death. A few weeks ago, we, we took time to remember fallen soldiers who had given their lives so we might enjoy freedom. I, I recently watched the movie Dunkirk, and, and I'd watched the movie as well on um, storming the, the Juno Beach and that beachfront and the attack that took place and the, and the cost of Canadian lives. Well, Christmas is God's beachfront attack on our enemy. In chapter 8, Isaiah describes just how bad things were for God's people. Doom and gloom is on the horizon when you read in chapter 8. They look out and they see this powerful military of the Assyrians and they know that their days are numbered. And Isaiah prophesies, but help is coming. Help is coming. That's why he says right in the first word of chapter 9, nevertheless, doom and gloom and your enemies at your doorstep. He says, nevertheless, he says, help is on its way. Have you ever wondered if help was on your way? Ever felt your enemy was banging at your door? And you just wondered, is help on its way? And Isaiah says, hope is on its way. Everything seems to be falling apart, but Isaiah stands up, he says, but help is on its way. Light is coming to confront the darkness. And as Israel looked out on its horizon and they saw the Assyrians coming and wondered, is there any hope? We look out on the horizon, we ask the same question. Is there any hope for my marriage? Is there any hope for my son? Is there any hope for my daughter? Is there any hope with my cancer? Is there any hope in this financial disaster that I find myself in? Is there any hope of finding another job? Is there any hope of finding love? You know, nothing seems easy. Just when your career seems to be up on the upswing, your marriage gets a little bit rocky. Just when your marriage is getting really good, your children go off the rails. Life can be hard if we're honest. And there are times, there are times we wonder, will life ever get better? Will my son ever come home? Will my strained relationship with my mother ever get resolved? Will my husband's health ever get better? Will my daughter ever come back to the Lord? This promise that we read here is not just for the Israelites, it's for us as well. Now Christmas is not only joy, but it's a reminder of those who have died. This may be the very first Christmas that you're facing that someone that you loved is no longer here. Maybe this Christmas marks your last Christmas because you have been told about an illness that you have, the doctor's given you. 
And Christmas has a way of revealing to us the very need of Christmas. Christmas can expose in all of us the need of something more than what you can do or what I can do or what I can accomplish or what I can buy or what I can earn or what I can achieve. There is no political leader, no government, no spouse, no career, no nation, no education, no friend. There is nothing outside of us or inside of us that can solve our biggest problem. But here in Isaiah chapter 9, the mood changes when good news is given. The burden feels much lighter when good news is given. For unto us a child is born. In 1809, the international scene was tumultuous. Napoleon was sweeping across Austria. Blood was flowing freely. Nobody cared what babies were being born. But the world overlooked some significant births in 1809. For example... William Gladstone was born that year. He was destined to become one of England's greatest and finest statesmen. That same year, Alfred Tennyson was born to an obscure minister and his wife, and the child would one day greatly affect the literary world in a marked manner. On the American continent in Boston, Edgar Allan Poe began his eventful albeit tragic life that same year produced the cries of a newborn infant in a rugged log cabin in Kentucky that baby's name was Abraham Lincoln if there had been CNN or Fox News or NBC or CTV the the news of that day would have been the destiny of the world is being shaped on our Austrian battlefield that would have been the headlines but history was actually being shaped in the cradles of England and America that year. Similarly, during Jesus' birth, the news of the day, the headlines would be about taxation, the fact that people had to go back to their home, this heavy tax that was being placed upon them. It was nothing to do with births, but yet a young Jewish mother held the baby that would change the course of history. For unto us, A child is born. I love what Martin Luther said in 1531. We are always to add for us. For whom was he conceived and born? For us. For whom did he suffer and die? For us, he says, for us. Always add for us. We should relate these words to every every sentence. Conceived for us, born for us, suffered for us, raised for us, ascended for us. The son is given. He is not earned. He is given to the lonely, the hurting, the broken, the imperfect people, the so-called losers of the world, He didn't come for the strong. He came for the weak. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for the godless. He didn't come because we were good. He came because we were bad. And God continues to come to us because we're bad. 
Emmanuel, God with us. Not a God above us or around us or ahead of us or behind us. No, God with us. Christmas is God coming near to us. We never outgrow. We never outgrow the need of a Savior. As we grow in our relationship with him, it's not a growth where we need less of him. Spiritual maturity is actually the realization just how much I actually do need him, how desperate I am for him. And God's promise is drawing near. And Isaiah sees out on the horizon, and he begins the color in that black and white promise of Genesis 3.15. When he says he's a wonderful counselor, he's a mighty God, he's an everlasting father, he is the prince of peace, and one day his government will rule the world forever. That is God's wonder counsel. And Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are heavy and burdened, and I'll give you rest. That's not my counsel, that's his counsel that he gives. Think of verses like John 3, 16, and I know people say, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. But listen to it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe on him would have everlasting life. And life goes by so quick. I used to think I was in my prime. I feel like I'm on the downward hill. Like I realized over half of my life is over and it happened in the blink of an eye. All the things that keep me up at night will one day come to an end. All the things that weigh me down will come to an end. Christmas, it's all about light and life and love coming into Occupy territories of darkness, death, and hate. This is what I mean when I say Christmas is, is a revealed as a confrontation. God is intruding into a broken world. Christmas is a war fought by a peaceful prince, and his battle plan to defeat death is dying. And in the midst of all the gloom and doom, Isaiah stands up and he says, God is sending help. Hope is on its way. Help is on its way. This help was first promised, as I said, in Genesis 3.15. I will come one day and clean up the mess. Now I know your situation, our situation, my situation, is far different than what the Israelites were facing in this passage. But just picture this, the Assyrians are, are literally outside of their gates. The enemy is breathing down their necks. The enemy has sounded the battle cry, attack. Our situation is different, but our realities are the same. Just as the Israelites felt helpless, let's be honest, so many times we do too. We feel helpless. Sometimes we feel hopeless. We look at our lives and we wonder, is anything, is anything going to improve in my life? We wonder, is is this mess, will it ever be cleaned up? 
We find ourselves broken and living in a brokenness world. And not only are we messed up, but those around us are messed up. And there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing Israel can do. The Assyrians are literally outside of their walls. They have no more time to train soldiers. They have no more time to call for extra backup and help. They have no way to defend themselves. And they will be defeated, and they will be left in ruins unless someone, unless some divine help comes their way. Isaiah stands up and announces, help is on its way. And the only people who really appreciate the amazing grace of God are those who realize just how desperate their situation really is. Until you are lying flat on your back with absolutely no way to fix yourself, or your situation, will you truly understand the gospel of the good news? The birth of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, really is only good news to those who realize just how desperate they are. A divine helper Isaiah says, is on his way. And grace always runs downhill to the lowest point. That's the grace of God. Nothing we can do really can address our deepest need. And Christmas announces to us how God does things, totally counterintuitive, to how you and I would do things. The situation is so desperate that only God can fix Israel's problems. And our situation was so, is so desperate that only God can fix our situation. And God constantly is coming to us. Not because we're good, by the way, but because we're bad. He constantly comes to us. I love those words. To us, a son is given. To the worn out, the stressed out, the burnt out, the announcement is given to us. And mighty God means God is a warrior, that God comes as a conqueror, a conqueror of pain and slavery and death. Luke 4, Luke chapter 4 gives us a very clear picture of who this conqueror is. Jesus, in his very own words, says he is coming to conquer. You may remember this story in reading where Jesus does what he traditionally does on, on Sabbath. He goes into the synagogue and a scroll is passed to him to stand up and read. And it just happens to be the scroll from Isaiah. And this is what he reads. It's found in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus stands up, opens the scroll, and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. 
because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Jesus himself says it. I've come to conquer, to leave death and dying behind. I'm coming to release prisoners. I'm coming to unlock the prison cells. I'm coming to confront darkness, to open eyes. He's coming to shine light into the darkness, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That describes us, by the way. That's us. This was us. Chained in prison to our sins, walking in darkness living in oppression. And Israel is feeling so weak and incapable of facing what's in front of them. This is the mighty God that Isaiah is talking about. He's an everlasting father, one who gives us love and approval and security, and he doesn't just provide it once. He's always providing it for us. Everything. He provides everything that we need. He has secured for us everything that we've ever longed for. And he comes as a prince of peace. Harmonious. Complete. Settled. One theologian described this, described sin this way. I love it. He said sin describes sin as the vandalism of shalom. Sin brings brokenness to our lives, and Isaiah says this rescuer, this person that is coming will actually bring peace. He will come, he'll be the one who will clean things up. He's an administrator of shalom. He is the administrator of peace. Like he's the one who will bring peace. I love the description. I can't remember who said this, but God came to reweave the fraying fabrics of our life. And this child comes, this helpless infant, and this is the news that we have been waiting for. That darkness will give way to light and death will give way life and he goes on to say the only way this will be accomplished the only possible way that this can be accomplished is through the zeal of the Lord in other words the gates of hell will not prevail against the rescuer that God is sending Isaiah is telling us there is hope for the hopeless this is not just good news, by the way, for the Israelites. This is good news for us. This is good news for us. The broken, the hurting, the messed up. To know that help is on its way. That I can hope again. This promise is for us. I don't know who said this. I heard this years ago. 
but I love this. They said, if God thought our greatest need was financial, he would have sent an economist. If God perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian, an artist, or an entertainer. If God thought our greatest need was political stability, then he would have sent a politician. If God thought our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he knew our greatest need was sin, death, and slavery, so he sent a savior. For us. For us. Christmas isn't just a reminder of what Jesus did. It's a reminder of what he is doing. How he is still fighting. How he's still pursuing. How he still does whatever it takes to bring us back home to give us a new name, to give us a new identity, and to help us be able to see who God the Father is. So the question that I ask you is do you know him? Like do you know this Jesus? I didn't ask you do you know things about Jesus? I'm asking you, do you know this Jesus? Do you know this child that was sent to you? Do you know this son that was given to you? The Bible says that you can know him today if you don't know Jesus as your savior. He came, yes, to be the savior of the world, but he came to be your savior. And so the question is, do you know him? As we enter this Christmas season, do you know him? The one who gave his life for you, the one who left all of heaven's glory, came to earth for you. Like for you, God came for you. It's hard to conceive that God would leave all of the splendor and glory of heaven for us. But he did. Do you know him? This Christmas season, 2017. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, what an incredible description that Isaiah has given to us. Lord, that hope is on its way. Lord, thank you for this powerful truth. Thank you for giving us a son. Thank you for that a child was born for us this Christmas season. And Lord, we pray today that if there would be anyone listening online, anyone here in our auditorium this morning that does not know Jesus, I pray, God, that they would surrender their lives to you. Lord, that they would just simply pray and ask you to come and, and rescue them, rescue them from their sin and give them hope again.
pray in Jesus' name. Amen.